Program note. This episode contains references to sexual situations because that is something that is just below the surface of this biblical story. For this reason, this episode may not quite be for everybody. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, Please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night, and God heeded Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah said, God has given me my hire, because I gave my maid to my husband. So she named him Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good gift. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she named him Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and named her Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel, and God heeded her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she named him Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Mandrake, or mandragora, is used to return those who've been petrified to their original state. It's also quite dangerous. The mandrake's cry is fatal to anyone who hears it. Thank you, Miss Granger. That is an excellent summary of everything people today know or think they know about mandrakes. Uh, ten points to Gryffindor. And actually, J.K. Rowling's description of mandrakes in her book and film, The Chamber of Secrets, are not very far off the mark in terms of how people have seen the plant throughout history. It has long been seen as a very mysterious plant, and one with mystical properties. This is certainly not accidental. It is true that various parts of the plant do have a narcotic effect, and may cause hallucinations when ingested by human beings. In sufficient quantities, it can also be fatal. This alone would have been reason enough for ancient people to regard the plant with superstition. The fact that the root of the plant also has a strange, human-like form is probably what led to the ancient idea that the plant could be used as an aphrodisiac, and even as a cure for infertility. There was even a time in the Middle Ages when it was commonly believed that if the plant was improperly pulled out of the ground, it would emit a scream that maybe wouldn't kill the person picking it, 
but that was likely to curse them. But somehow, when mandrakes suddenly show up in the middle of the story of Rachel and Leah in the book of Genesis, I have found that people tend to be hesitant to talk about these ancient beliefs and medicinal uses of the plant. It is like they are afraid to dive too deep into what the story is really about. But you know me. I just love to take a biblical story just as it is. So, what is this one really about? This is Retelling the Bible. Episode 7.18 The Mandrake Machinations When the ten-year-old boy saw the flowers growing in the wheat field, as he helped with the harvest, he admired their beauty. They had these pretty violet-colored blooms in the center of broad green leaves. His first thought, and the one that stayed with him, was that perhaps if he brought them back to his mother, they might make her smile. Reuben's mother, Leah, did not smile very much. Part of that, maybe, was that she was an extremely busy woman. She was the mother of six boys, after all. Four who were born to her, and two born to her servant Zilpah. Her boys often ran her off her feet. And that's not even counting the daughters, who, not surprisingly, Nobody ever counted. But it was not merely her hard work that got her down. There seemed to be a deep well of sadness within her. And Reuben had come to understand that that had a lot to do with her husband, Jacob. Reuben knew. All of the children who were old enough knew that Jacob didn't love Leah. They knew it because he said so, on a regular basis. He did stop by the family tent from time to time to drop off their portion of food and to pat his sons on their heads and tell them that they would be fine young men someday. But he would barely even look at Leah. Reuben couldn't remember a time when he had actually slept overnight, though he knew enough about how things worked to realize that he must have done so before his youngest full brother, Asher, was born. Reuben didn't know what Jacob had against Leah. In his eyes, she was the most wonderful 
and beautiful woman in the whole world. He could have stared into her soft and loving eyes forever. But he could not escape the obvious truth that whenever Aunt Rachel was anywhere nearby, Jacob's eyes would follow her wherever she went. Rachel was brash and colorful, the kind of woman who was always getting all the attention. But she also seemed to have a deep sadness in her as well. Despite all of the affection that she received from her husband and the admiration she received from everyone else, but, of course, it was his mother's smile that Reuben thought of first when he saw the flowers. When he paused to pick them for her, he remembered that they were called love plants. He had heard stories of them being used for spells and amulets and incantations. And so, rather than just taking the flowers, he uprooted the plants entirely and decided to bring them all to Leah, not knowing which parts might be useful for what. When Leah saw the plants, she did smile. She told Reuben that he was a good boy to think of his mother like that and he left happy. She was not only thinking of how pretty the flowers were, or how thoughtful her son was, though. She knew very well the various uses of the mandrake plant. Leah had had many children by this time, but she knew that she could still have more. The problem was not that she was too old, her monthly cycles were still as regular as ever. She knew very well what the only problem was, the lack of interest that her husband had in her. He had never loved her. She recognized that, nor even desired her sexually. But there had been a time when he had at least been able to perform for her. But he was older now, and his appetites had calmed. He had tried, out of a sense of duty, but he just could not bring himself to a proper end. She suspected that it embarrassed him, and so he just stopped trying. He contented himself with Rachel, though it seemed she would never produce any children, and with Bilha and Zilpa, who were more to his liking. But Leah knew that a careful use of the properties of this plant would be able to stir some desire in her husband, and perhaps even prompt some responses in his body. And now... Thanks to Reuben, she had the plant. All she needed was some way to get Jacob in her tent, 
to put him in the situation where a careful administration of Mandrake would put him under her spell. As she thought about it, there was only one way to pull it off. She sighed and then called Reuben back in and he came eagerly. She sent him off with a message to her sister, Rachel, an invitation to come and share the noontime meal. Rachel loved her sister. She told herself that regularly, but she was never quite sure that she believed it anymore. She knew that Leah had never done anything against her. The whole marriage debacle, that had been their father. Leah had had no choice but to go along with that. The only thing that her sister had done was bear children. And bear them she had, one after another. And she continued to do so long after it became plain that Rachel could not. That felt unforgivable. But she knew that it was not her sister's fault. And then there was the question of how Leah felt about her. Because though Leah had what Rachel truly wanted, her own children, Rachel knew that she had what her sister truly wanted. The affection of a husband. Rachel had enjoyed all the attention that Jacob lavished on her at first. But honestly, it had started to get a bit old. He could be clingy and would get into a foul mood when she didn't return his affection immediately. But it seemed that his admiration was all that she had, and so she was not above flaunting it before the rest of the family and before her sister, especially when she was feeling depressed. But she missed having a relationship with Leah. She remembered what it had been like when they had grown up together. How her big sister had always been there for her. How she had protected her when their father had been difficult, as everyone knew he could be sometimes. And once upon a time, before Jacob came along, they had been able to talk and laugh and share all of their troubles. But now that seemed so long ago. And so she was not quite sure what to think when she received her sister's invitation. She hoped that it might be the beginning of a mended relationship between them, but she also feared that Leah might just be trying to put something over on her. You tended to expect that kind of thing in this family. 
Leah had prepared a lovely lunch for her sister with barley cakes and honeyed dates, curds and whey, and her best beer. She had also laid a beautiful table with her best dishes. In the center of the table, she had carefully arranged Reuben's mandrakes in a bowl of water. When Rachel arrived, she greeted her warmly, though perhaps a bit stiffly, and led her to the table. As she had expected, she saw her sister pause and her eyes widen as they flashed to the table center. Oh, yes, she knew exactly what those plants were. But she didn't say anything, not right away. She just carried on sipping her beer and discussing the children and how the flocks were doing. But she couldn't stop her eyes from drifting over to the bowl of flowers every so often. Eventually, she could not help herself. She had to bring it up. Those are such lovely flowers, she said. They are mandrakes, aren't they? They're hard to come by. However did you get them? And so Leah told her the story of her son's lucky find and thoughtfulness. She knew it was cruel, but she couldn't help adding the comment, It is so nice to have such a thoughtful child. Rachel flushed ever so slightly when she heard that, but she quickly chose to ignore it. Would you please give me some of your son's mandrakes? she asked lightly but then added with just a hint of bitterness, since I have no sons of my own to find any for me. Leah's smile was brief, and she quickly replaced it with a look of indignation. So, you take away my husband every night, she huffed, and now you want to take my son's mandrakes as well? Fine. Rachel said, He may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. And so, the deal was made. What's more, Rachel was certain that she had the upper hand in it. She was certain that there was no way that her sister would get any advantage from it. So much so that she could not resist making one hurtful comment on the way out of the tent. I know what you want, she said, but you won't get it. He won't be able to get it up for you. Leah said nothing, but once her sister had left, she finally allowed herself to smile broadly. Leah had learned 
the various uses and preparations of the mandrake from her own mother. She knew it could be dangerous, even deadly, if someone ingested enough of it. But if it was prepared just right, the juice of the root mixed with wine, for example, the drinker might feel some very enjoyable effects. It could make them feel very comfortable, happy and sleepy. Sometimes it could also induce visions. But there was another effect that she was particularly interested in. It was said that the mandrake, if used judiciously, could inspire affection and love in a man for a woman, and that it could even provoke certain physical responses as well. Of course, she had not put all of the mandrakes that her son had given her out on the table. She had reserved a generous portion for herself. These she took and selected the roots and carefully extracted the juice. By the end of the afternoon, she had everything ready. When Jacob returned from his work in the fields late that afternoon, Leah was ready for him. He was heading, as was his usual habit, for the tent of Rachel, whose body had filled his fantasies all afternoon. But Leah interrupted him. You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes, she said. <laughs> Jacob hadn't a clue what she was talking about. But he had long stopped being interested in the affairs of women and the mysterious preparations they made with herbs and plants. He had also learned not to meddle with their affairs and decisions. That always seemed to end badly. And so Jacob just shrugged and followed Leah to her tent. He didn't really expect anything more to come from them sharing a bed than Rachel had. But he also didn't think anything of it when she handed him a cup of wine as he entered, even though it admittedly had a bit of an odd taste to it. It didn't take long before Jacob was feeling very good, and, much to his amazement, actually found himself reacting to Leah's provocative actions. He began to respond to her like he hadn't in years. Leah became pregnant that night. She suspected that she had right away and when it was finally confirmed, she rejoiced. When her son was born, she named him Issachar, which reminded her of the word for hire, 
It seemed to her that she had received a worthy exchange for hiring out her son's mandrakes to her sister. And, of course, she did reserve the remainder of the mandrake juice. In the years that followed, with its assistance, she went on to bear two more children, a boy and a girl. When Rachel heard that her sister was pregnant yet again, she did get a familiar twinge of jealousy, but she did not despair. The lore for using the mandrake as a fertility cure took a little bit more patience than its uses for other things. Rachel took the plants that she had and gently brushed away the dirt. She looked at the roots. As the lore had promised, the roots did indeed look somewhat like little people, with arms and legs and little faces. They looked enough like babies that the mere sight of them gave Rachel hope. She very carefully picked out the mandrake root that looked most like a young man, right down to certain <clears throat> uh, bodily features. After all, it was absolutely essential to Rachel not only that she produce a child, but that it be a boy child. It took some time for her to dry the root and carefully coat it with several layers of resin all the while repeating certain incantations that she had learned from her mother. But eventually the amulet was ready. She had it set on a chain that she wore on her neck through several cycles of the moon. Finally, when all was ready, she summoned Jacob back into her tent, and he came willingly. It did take several months in the end. It seemed like a lot of trying, but Jacob certainly didn't complain about it. And actually, Rachel didn't mind it either. Because, for the first time in a long time, she actually felt that there was a purpose in it for her. Leah was actually already pregnant with her, what was it, with her sixth son by the time Rachel finally conceived. But Rachel didn't mind in the least this time. She finally had the one thing that made her life feel complete. Jacob blessed Yahweh for the incredible miracle of his favorite wife finally having a child. Rachel joined in with his prayers, of course, but she also closed her hand around the mandrake amulet that she still wore about her neck and gave thanks for Reuben's mandrakes.
one of my amazing Patreon supporters, who goes by the name of Pink Abu, suggested that it was time for this podcast to tackle the story of Rachel and Leah. I couldn't have agreed more. But there was one particular aspect of their story that had long fascinated me. The Mandrake Affair. Once you understand all of the ancient beliefs around this plant, you realize that there are a number of very interesting things going on in it. Most commentators I have read do, of course, mention the ancient uses of the mandrake as an aphrodisiac and as a cure for infertility. It is quite inescapable that this is what lies behind Rachel and Leah's intense negotiation over who gets to have Reuben's plants. But then, the mandrakes are usually forgotten for the rest of the story. Most interpreters seem to assume that Rachel made a bad trade by giving Leah access to her husband's bed, access that he had apparently cut her off from, and that the mandrakes don't matter after that. But I always thought that there had to be more to it than that. We hear a lot about Jacob's relationship with his God in Genesis, but little about the belief system of his wives. But they do seem to have their own beliefs that were not exactly the same as their husband. We are told, for example, that when the family eventually flees from Laban, Rachel will steal her father's teraphim, cultic objects that were likely considered to be powerful charms and idols. This certainly seems to indicate that Rachel was someone who believed in the magical power of teraphim. In the same way, she certainly wouldn't have hesitated to use what she saw as the magical power of the mandrake root. The other point that commentators often make is that the mandrakes didn't work for Rachel. The evidence they provide for this is that, after the mandrake incident, Leah goes through three pregnancies before Rachel becomes pregnant. That is to say that Rachel only becomes pregnant at least, what, six years? Probably more? After she gets the mandrakes? Surely the mandrakes have nothing to do with it. It must have only been that God came through for her. But I never quite bought that. I do not think that any reasonable reader can read the story of the children of Rachel and Leah in a strictly linear fashion. The way the story is told, the women take turns having babies. Leah has four, then Bilhah has two, then Zilpah has two, then Leah has three more, and then Rachel has one. That makes little sense in practical terms. It is also statistically extremely unlikely that there would be only one female among twelve live births, 
so I assume that there were also girls being born who aren't mentioned because, well, patriarchy. Dinah, the single girl who is named, is only mentioned after all, because there will be a story about her later. Because of all of this, I have always assumed that the author is simply sorting the children according to their mothers, and not necessarily in strict chronological order. At the very least, many of these pregnancies are meant to be understood as concurrent. So, who is to say how long after she got the mandrakes, Rachel became pregnant? Surely she understood that the mandrakes played some role in her success. And yes, I know, I know, though modern science agrees that the mandrake is a very potent plant with strong effects, and that it can also be poisonous, there is absolutely no evidence that it can be used as a substitute for Viagra, or that it can cure infertility. What there is evidence of, however, is that ancient people believed that the plant had such powers. And modern research has shown that patients who believe in their medication do show improvement, even if they are only given a placebo. So maybe there was a medical effect, or maybe it was a placebo. But I really feel that there is no denying that the mandrake is an essential part of this incredible story of two sisters and their war of the wombs. So, thanks, Pinkaboo, for finally directing my attention to this story. That is it for this episode of Retelling the Bible. Please subscribe so you can get the next episode in a couple of weeks. And do leave a review on your podcast provider to help other people find and appreciate this podcast. The theme music for the podcast is Ada, and the mood music for this episode was Pride, both by Kevin McLeod. The music is licensed under the Creative Commons and can be found at filmmusic.io. You can contact me on Twitter, or whatever it's called, at Retelling Bible, and on the Facebook page, Retelling the Bible. Show notes for this episode have been posted at retellingthebible.wordpress.com. Thanks again to my awesome Patreon supporters who back this podcast. If you'd like to join them or discover the benefits they receive, go to patreon.com slash retellingthebible. This is Retelling the Bible, and I have been your storyteller, W. Scott McCandless.